Well, if you would, please take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. You know, as the Lord would have it, um, you know, one of the, well, let me put it this way, one of the beauties of exposition is knowing that you can trust, and exposition being this, let me give a brief definition, that exposition is simply the commitment that the main diet of the Word of God for us as a church, at least from the pulpit, is that we are going to do everything we can as we walk through books to really hear what the original author meant, okay, in their context, but as it makes its way to the cross and then applied to our lives in our context, okay? So we want to do the best we can to try to get the original authorial intent the best way possible, and that's why we put in a lot of study and we talk through it, but we also want to make sure it gets applied well to our context. And You know, one of the things that protects you from is it protects you from a pastor having a particular bent on any particular subject on any particular day. And too often, pulpits are driven by whatever the the hot thing is going on in culture or on social media that day. And so it's really not good for the church to be directed by that. There's also been many times where pulpits have been driven by the complaining of the five or ten percenters, and then the pastor just basically preaches either to, caters to, or against that five or ten percent, and that's not good for the church either. So we trust, as we just walk through the scriptures, what he has for us. Now, I've got story after story I could tell you of, see, if I put it that way, it makes me sound like I don't plan well. I was going to say I have many stories where the Lord saw fit to, on certain days, make sure that the text lined up with where we were on a particular Sunday. I remember, you know, many people would say, hey, we're in the Mount of Prophets. Are you going to pause so that we could teach through Christmas? And we did that here just this last season. Um, but as I was looking through where we, we were, were in the Mount of Prophets, we were at Micah, and then we got to Micah 3, and it turns out that the Sunday before Christmas, and I was preaching through all 12 Mount of Prophets. So you can see the precision in this, that the Lord saw fit, that that was going to be in chapter 3, where he talks about, to you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, that actually is prophecy of the Christ child coming. Well, no, I'm not going to veer from that. We're going to take, take advantage of that. Now, there's, there's lesser times, so to speak, but, but today's not one of those lesser times. Because, you know, we had actually a delay because of some weather a few weeks ago. And so we're actually kind of a week behind what my sermon planning would be. And here we are on Sanctity of Life Sunday, and yet we're actually teaching on something that has to do with submission to authorities, to government. Okay, we're not going to expand, even though this whole section is expansive on what it looks like to submit to all manner of relationships within the community that you live in, and also your household, kind of your household ethic, the different relationships that are there between husband and wife, child and parent, so on and so forth. We'll talk about what it's like to serve as employer to employee. Today, we're going to have essentially a civics lesson. What does it look like for Christians to understand the nature of civics. And this sounds awfully dull, but I promise you it's not. I have had to, um, for those of you who are on social media, if you're wise, you're, um, you know, if you had a trash bin for your tweets or in Facebook, um, you hopefully are deleting a whole lot more than you're posting because uh, hopefully your senses would kick in more quickly. At least they do with me. And so my, my, uh, I don't know that everything that's, that I've deleted would necessarily reflect best on me. Especially when I was without a church and we were looking for a church, Jan reminded me often that I would probably be looked upon on social media, and so I was, I was cautious most of the time. And in the course 
um, of even this week, I have had to, in a sense, hit delete in my head um, on where this applies for us, where we are in our culture. And so I just ask you to listen well. I ask you to listen actively. I ask you to listen as if this is according to the Word of God, which is what I'm seeking to do. I'm seeking to keep, in a sense, I want the Word out front. This is part of exposition for me in preaching. This is different than teaching. So those of you who think this is teaching, it's, it's not, because preaching, actually, there is some personality that will come through in the preacher and through the preacher as he preaches the Word, but it never should get out front and stay out front. The Word of God should be out front. Every once in a while, that personality comes through, but I want that Word to stay there almost all the time, only with perhaps some illustration or emphasis should something come through. Otherwise, it's the Word. That's what I seek. That's what I want. And there are certain Sundays where that is something that has to be pushed back even further. Not because I fear men, but because I fear losing the main point. So that's why it's so important for us to listen well this morning. And I also part of that is for you to receive the Word, for you to push back on your framework your political framework, your political ideologies, and to receive the Word of God as a Christian, not as a Republican, not as an old-school blue-chip Democrat that almost is like a unicorn now, as far as the old school that were mostly conservative except liberal on a few social policies, but even those social policies weren't anything like the social policies that we have today. I'm talking about 30 and 40 years ago. You have to not listen red or blue You must listen as those who are Christians. You know why? Because where we are in Peter, and also understanding this about 1 Peter, and he even reminded us last week in verses 11 and 12, he is reminding the people that they are sojourners and exiles. They are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Not first, exclusively. I understand that we dwell in a real context. We do. This is why this is a real Christianity setup that we have in chapters 2, 3, through 4, verse 11. It's a very real world context that we live in. So our Christianity, though, has to speak to the very real world that we live in. But we must listen and embrace and understand that this context for us is still in a greater context of our citizenship. We have been made sojourners. We have been made exiles. We have been made foreigners in a land that too often feels very much like home. And we also have to admit that as we come to any particular text that might challenge our lifestyles or our perspectives in this world, that we have to understand that we too often Christianize our perspectives just simply because somebody throws a verse up or holds a Bible up for a photo op or because they put an ichthus fish on the back of their car, all of a sudden that's made it a Christian car, a Christian president, or a Christian photo op, or a Christian this or that, or a Christian co- uh, uh, conference as there are meetings all over the place all the time with pastors. But just because it says pastor or reverend, do you really listen to what they teach otherwise? The fact is, is that we have to put at bay the things that we associate with Christianity and make sure that it truly is Christian so that we can understand the difference. Look, I'll just lay my cards on the table. I don't need a Christian president any more than I need a Christian neurologist. I want the best neurologist possible. God has given the common grace and common mercy of fantastic doctors. 
Now, I do want them to serve God's purpose, and this is where I trust God's sovereign hand when it comes to politicians or others, is that he equips them and equips institutions for a reason. And that reason is to make sure that there is justice, that evil is put at bay, that good is promoted. But we live in a fallen world, so we know that's not going to be perfect, right? So with all that, let's go ahead and read where we are here in this passage. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. He finishes this section with four really distinct, clear imperatives that summarize the overall tenor of the passage. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Now, look back at verses 11 and 12. Let's remember the larger context of this section. When he starts out with beloved, as we talked about last week, it it begins a new section, so to speak, but he's also reviewing because he says, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, again, just as he says in verses one and following, he says that you are elect exiles in verse one of chapter one. He says, whether it be, I'm sorry, uh, as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Everything then from this point forward through 411 are specific outworkings of verse 12. He says to live honorably so that when people bring a reviling word against you, it is not because of anything that is contrary essentially to the gospel, not in spirit and not in truth. And as we see this outworking, he begins with this idea of authority. Now, there's a couple of things I want us to see as we head into this. I need you to keep in mind the context that Peter's writing in. This is just a few years prior to Peter's execution. Peter dies a martyr's death. Peter is writing this at a time when Nero reigned as emperor of Rome. When he writes to the churches in Asia Minor, they are ruled overall by the Roman kingdom. Nero is that emperor. Now, Nero was very young. He was only about 16, just almost 17 when he became emperor. He only lived to the age of 30. And during that time, it was incredibly tumultuous. Um, Legend has it that he killed his mom and two of his wives. You also need to understand that it's under Nero's reign that Peter was martyred. Now, again, story would have it in the early church that he was crucified upside down. Whether or not we, you know, we don't know that for a fact. That's not something that's written in scripture, but... Regardless, we know that Peter was indeed killed for his faith, for being faithful. And it was within the context of Nero, this tyrannical, horrific ruler, brutal 
young. So keep in mind both the brutality and the youth when Peter says, submit to the emperor. Look, you may, you know, maybe you're in this room and you're a never trumper. Maybe you're in this room and you're just, you, you, you know, the, we have a liar in chief in Biden. I don't know what your extreme is. You haven't lived under Nero. The blood has not been shed yet. Look, again, we're in a fallen world. And yet Peter is still able to say that overall in the institutions, he says that there is still some exercise of justice, even though it is very much, very much twisted and messed up. That the evil is still somewhat dealt with. That the good is still somewhat exalted, even when it's completely riddled with other times where there's injustice and Christians are literally killed for their faith. It is in this context that Peter says, submit to your authorities. We don't get to claim that, oh, but they don't really, they, they didn't know what we're living under. Literally the one-upper. <laughs> Keep all that in mind as we walk through this. First of all, we're going to talk about living in submission, but then we're going to talk about briefly living as servants in that context. Okay, look, I, I admit, and there, you, you have to understand that this goes against so many sensibilities that we have as humans. It goes against our sensibilities as Westerners, uh, as, as Americans who, who, who revolt and rebel against any possible quelling of our freedoms. And yet the call here is to submit. Now let's first talk about what is submission because he says, again, right, right at the very beginning, be subject. It literally is to submit for the Lord's sake to every human institution. What does it mean to be subject? Well, unfortunately, it means exactly what it sounds like. It means you are submitting to someone higher than you. There's a hierarchy of authority. I wish we could do some gymnastics with it um, in, in its etymology. I wish we could look at the word and go, you know, that, that's not really what it means. It really means that there's just this general kindness to everybody. And then un unless it gets in the way of you being in authority, that's which would be the opposite. That's not what it means. It actually means exactly what it says to submit. The problem is we have a natural predisposition to be suspicious of those in authority, right? I mean, we, we live in a, if you're, if you're in a work environment, we'll talk about this some next week, but we have a natural labor versus management mentality that the blue collar doesn't trust the white collar, so to speak. Or even in our day and age, when we talk about wives submit to your husbands, that we somehow say that and immediately think that that means that the wife is going to be the soft Christian and the husband can just do whatever he wants instead of going on with the passages to know that this husband should be leading as Christ loves the church in a very sacrificial way. It basically should be a joy where it doesn't feel like anything but a mutual Godward approach to what it looks like to be a husband and a wife. We are constantly thinking of what does that look like in the abuse context or when they're against us context. But guys, the fact is, is that we are gonna have to submit to the word of God and what it says to us. And what that word simply means is that we submit to the authorities that are around us. We work within, so to speak, the system because God set up that system. This isn't a caste system. This doesn't mean, there's so much it doesn't mean, so don't extrapolate it, but you do have to understand that overall in this passage, submission and servanthood are the motifs. 
There's nothing here about authority, revolt, insurrection, toughness, John Wayne-ness, nothing. This is submission and servanthood. This is the stuff that looks like Hebrews 11, where the courage is often not seen until after the person is dead. Now look, this year, I'm I'm so excited about this year with the elders and the deacons as we look at the future and cast vision and talk about what's to be laid out for us, but I, I still have some marketing sensibilities. That was my degree in college and used it some during the interim between pastorates. And uh, I still have some marketing sensibilities that I understand that for us to have, you know, it wouldn't be good marketing for us to say, come to Milford Bible Church, we're gonna teach you how to die. We train martyrs. But for those of you who've been Christians for a while, is there not some truth to that though? That as Christians, we are encouraging one another to be fit for the kingdom of heaven. And however the Lord sees fit to get us there. For most of us, it will just be a natural death or if he comes, Lord willing. But we are to be faithful. And if we are to be reviled or if we are to even be like Peter killed, it is to be because of our Christian witness in truth and in spirit, not because we broke the law or went against the emperor. To subordinate like this, it means that we have to understand that there has to be a pure, larger perspective. Guys, I want you to know, I'm not going to the extreme of promoting some kind of passivity where we all become pacifists, but I will say that Scripture when I say easier, I don't mean easier in this sense of failure. I just mean if you were to take the scripture, it would be easier to come down on the side of pacifism and look like you're biblically right than it would be to come down on the side of being an insurrectionist who is constantly rebelling against all the authorities in this world and taking up arms against every person that opposes you. Again, I'm not saying we should be pacifists. Guys, I can't tell you how this goes against my sensibilities. I was a kid that when I was about five or six years old at my grandmother's house, she had one of the, some of you guys probably have this in your house. She had a brandy set up. It was a, I was, it was untouchable. But every once in a while when I went over to her house, she let me put apple juice in it. You know why? Because I watched John Wayne was I, when I was a kid and it looked like a whiskey shot. I was five. I had a gun on my hip. It was a cap gun, but still, it was really cool. And I had a hat on. I don't know why in the world. Oh, on top of that, I also had, if you remember back in the day, the sugar cigarettes that if you blew them just a little bit, the sugar would come off of it, the powdered sugar, and it would look like smoke. I was smoking and drinking as a five-year-old with a gun on my side. I didn't know Second Amendment, but it was built deep into me. It goes against so many, and I'm not saying I grew up in that, in just some kind of radicalized view of that at all. It's just, it was just natural for what it was to be a boy, to be, to be a guy, just to grow up in that kind of sensibility of you, you, you played cops and robbers, you played war, you did these different things, whatever. This goes against so many of my innate sensibilities as well. But here's how we must think about it. He says right off the bat to be subject for the Lord's sake. 
See, the Jews were known for being difficult to govern. They were. They were always looking for their kingdom to be established opposed to the, government, the governing system that was in place. And so there was always this burgeoning sense of rebellion amongst the Jews. Now again, Peter's not only speaking to Jewish Christians here, but it certainly is making up a large portion of the churches in Asia Minor as they had left again the Jerusalem area after the dispersion when they were being persecuted when you see back in Acts 1.8 and then chapter 8. And he's saying, be subject to whatever governing system is around you. And again, this is Nero and this is tyrannical. He says, be subject to it. Keep the law. Keep order. Be peaceful. But he says, do this for the Lord's sake. If you don't elevate your thinking to these eternal matters, your tendency is going to try to make eternal matters serve your temporal ones. You will try to make heaven on earth. We grow impatient in our faith because faith is not driven by sight. It's driven by the opposite, the assurance of things that we don't see yet. And we grow impatient for justice. We grow impatient for what's right. And so as long as we can Christianize whatever our perspective is, we'll do that and we'll slap whatever we can on it and we will then say it is just and therefore that is what we must do. And it really, you combine that with our pragmatism of do whatever it takes to do the right thing, we literally will scorch the earth and at the end to try to have a policy that we think is the right one. But we see it in microwaves, when, in, in microcosm kind of ways on social media, where again, I've used this phrase before, you can win battles and lose relationships all day long. Have you ever lost a relationship over a political argument? And perhaps you've lost the opportunity to ever share Christ with that person again because of the venom that you used in sharing your perspective? Guys, this isn't about being socially right. That's biblically wrong. Scripture says if we're to be spoken of against, it should not be because of us having a wrong spirit, a wrong attitude, or trying to elevate the, the, the kingdoms of this world over the kingdom of God. For the Lord's sake, we are to submit to governing authorities. So we have to think means and ends related to what exalts the Lord. If I'm a sojourner and an exile, if this kingdom doesn't last, no matter how great, it doesn't matter if your party wins out for years. Okay, and, and I, I tell you, just if I step aside for just a minute and I think about myself as a, as a conservative, just American guy, I'm frustrated with when I look at the numbers that there were 20-something years where Republicans had majority in House, in Senate, and even in presidencies, they had many opportunities where those overlapped, and yet laws when it came to abortion hardly ever changed. They were more political talking points than they were actual changes going on. That frustrates me. I know the other side isn't going to promote that, but I look and go, what has my side done? Okay, and again, not to make this political, I'm saying even if all of the things line up, all the political stars line up and all of our passion and our policies get exactly what we want, you know what's going to happen? The U.S. of A. is still going to end and the kingdom of heaven is the only thing that's going to remain and it will be, guys, we are a blip on the screen when it comes to the Old Testament. Israel was in captivity to Egypt twice as long as we've been a country. 
just captivity to Egypt. (laughs) Almost a fourth, a fifth of the time that they spent just wandering around is about how long we've existed as a country. This isn't, again, to be pacifist. This doesn't say, this says actually within the laws, within the systems, yes, do what you do for your conscience sake. Change what needs to be changed. Absolutely. But do it with the mindset that this is for the Lord's sake. So how you go about it, how you deal with people on the other side of the aisle, how you deal with where you are in society matters for the kingdom of heaven. And in the long, big scheme of things at the end, it's not really going to change whether or not we last longer as a country. It could be better for while we're here and we should fight for justice. We should fight for the unborn. Absolutely. But we should do it for the Lord's sake. Not for the sake of some kingdom that's not going to last. I need you to hear both those things because I don't want any emails this week saying that, you know, you say that basically what we do doesn't matter. That's not what I've said. It does matter. I'm saying it needs to matter, but it needs to matter from the right perspective. So as we fight for justice, as we fight... I want to fight for racial justice. I want to fight for the unborn. I want to do those things, but I have to do those things understanding. I don't just say, you know, like, like the poor. I want the poor to be better taken care of. But at the same time, do I know that the poor will always be with us? I mean, Christ said that they would, but that doesn't mean that I do nothing. It does mean, though, what I do when it comes to justice, when it comes to wanting to see policies put in place, I'm doing this for the Lord's sake. These are avenues for me to say, the reason I'm doing this, but also, maybe even more so, the way that I'm doing this is because the Lord has changed me. The Lord has saved me. I was a sinner saved by grace. Do you think that perspective doesn't change when you go and work at a crisis pregnancy center? In our politics today, everybody comes to it as if they have entitled rights. I'm not talking about inalienable rights. I'm talking about just human, we are good, we are entitled, therefore our side should win. And there's this real haughty, prideful, arrogant predisposition that talks down in a condescending way to the other. Do you not think that coming to that framework from the perspective of I have been saved by grace would bring something starkly different to the table because that promotes humility. That's a person that's sitting at the table and says, you know what? We need to make sure we do this according to the law, not go break the law in doing so because even Peter, who was killed under the laws given by Nero, that was still better than him raising up an insurrection. Christ could have done this. And when he submitted himself according to the law, and he had two laws going against him, both with the Jews and also the Romans, went through every trial. And even when the trials were unjust, he didn't call for an insurrection. He submitted to the authorities and the authorities had their way. John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, imprisoned. He was even called to a pastorate while in prison. They had to wait for his release did not call for an insurrection. 
If anybody during the Reformation onward would have done it, it would have been Martin Luther. And even he eventually saw the extremities of what was going on with his followers and tried to quell their rebellion. We need to submit to the governing authorities because God has set them in place. Here's what he says. He says, as we submit, we submit to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So he's really not leaving out any level of government here. And if you remember anything about your American history, you know that even though certainly we take a lot of our stuff from England, um, most of our governing systems are taken actually historically from Roman rule. Senates. So as we do this, we have to understand there's something about what Peter is saying here. When he says to all human creations or human institutions, he is saying that they are created by God for a purpose and that's to punish evil and to do good. That's what he says here. But I do think there's something significant in what he's saying. I don't think he's making some smarmy backhanded uh, um, comment here, but I do think he is making something very clear. Is that God establishes those who rule, even those who rule who think they are God's. He says every human institution, even when you look at the order that he gives in those four imperatives in verse 17, he doesn't list the emperor first. He says, honor everyone, using a a blanket statement of all of who God's created as image bearers of God. He says, love the brotherhood, give deferment to the church. Love them especially. But then he says, fear God and honor the emperor. He wasn't saying that as the capstone. But again, he's not denigrating the emperor or that would be contrary to what he's saying. But he is saying clearly that the emperor is both established by God and he is not a God. Every human institution. Because there's no institution that's been instituted that's not merely human. There's no divine right given even though that's how Nero saw it. Nero saw it as his position was divine because he came from divine lines. So that's why it doesn't matter what the belief system is of the person in charge. Again, we can fight against those things by policies within the law, but our submission to that leader doesn't depend on their ideology or their belief system. Nero believed himself to be divine. Peter's saying, look, you're of a different kingdom. You know he's not divine. You know it's a human institution, but you're still to submit to it so that when anybody brings an accusation against you, it's not because you are just rebelling in this world and fighting a war that is only to be fought eventually, ultimately by God. You're not going to convince Nero that he's not divine to teach him a lesson, so to speak. These are created by God for a purpose. John Calvin said, we ought to cultivate as far as we can peace and friendship with all. Peace and friendship should drive so much of our interaction with every human institution. You go to the DMV, it's a whole nother level of sanctification. I just saw shoulders get tense. Just, and, and you're not even at a DMV in a large city, but it's still, it's just the nature of it. Just going in, just... Everything clenches. I don't, I don't like registering for anything. 
It doesn't bless, there's nothing in my soul that gets blessed in that process. And yet, we're to show kindness. In every institution. He says it's for the punishment of evil, to the praise of what is good. It's okay for us as Christians to say justice has been done, that's good, regardless of who established it. We can also see injustice, I get that, but we're to praise when justice has been served. We're also to praise when good has been exalted. And as faltering as our systems have been and our institutions have been, there is a general trajectory or a general sense that in general, some of the checks and balances that we find around us in our systems, that a lot of this does actually happen. But instead, what do we do? Too often we just, because we're fed more by social media and cable news than we are the word of God and prayer and praying for people, we just want to fuel and feed our ammunition against the other side. And as soon as we get enough, we're going to get on social media and we're going to send some links. To what end? You know what it's like on social media. If you praise something that the other side did as good, oh, I mean, you have turned. You're woke, you're whatever, you, you will just get labeled something if you even say something even remotely good about the other side. I mean, Trump can't even encourage people to get a vaccine without his own people turning on him at times, right? I mean, that's just what... People have their package responses to how things are. And if you veer outside of that, you're no longer on the team. Christians serve a greater cause. It's for the Lord's sake that we submit. It's for the Lord's sake that we would praise when evil has been punished, when we praise when good has been done, regardless of who's doing it. We will see injustices, yes, but we are to work within the system, so to speak, as we submit to it to see those changes happen. But I'll also say this, guys, we can work hard and we can do and make our changes, but they should not cause us in the long run to lose sleep. Because we still serve a sovereign God who has placed every institution in its place. I mean, we either believe it or we don't. I mean, Romans 13, we've already read it. That's what it says in 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. It says, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all the people, for kings and all who are in high positions, all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. That's Paul telling Timothy how to lead as a pastor and what to encourage his people with. Every high position, every authority, pray for them to live a quiet and peaceful life. So you don't then as a Christian, I get it when other people might say it, but as a Christian, you don't get to say, well, turn the other cheek or the things that the Lord has taught us really just doesn't work. Look, when you're serving an earthly kingdom, it doesn't. But if you are about the kingdom of heaven, that's what he's exactly what he's called you to. He's called you to take the hit and to keep speaking truth and to be peaceful. Not a rebel. And he says to do this before God, but also before the view of all men. It says this is according to God's will. Why? Because there is a witness involved. 
He says, for this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. The ignorance of foolish people. These foolish people, he's referred to them earlier, are people who are going to bring accusations against the Christian. We have to do what we can to make sure that whatever accusations are brought against us are not for any reason aside from they just don't believe the gospel. We know that the gospel is going to sound foolish to the world, right? 1 Corinthians 1 says this, For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Man's wisdom says... Take up arms and fight. Too often the church says, well, nothing else has worked. Let's, you know, and, and they, they claim Christ, so let's go ahead. You're inviting reproach. You're silencing the greater cause for which you have been made in exile. You have not been made in exile to push an agenda in law-breaking ways. Not in spirit, not in actuality. You've been called to submit for the sake of God. To live in a quiet and peaceful way with all men as far as it concerns you. To take the hits, to speak the truth, and to speak the truth in love filled with grace. And as you do so, submitting to the authorities around you, they can't say anything else about you except, what an idiot for believing the gospel. Take the hit. Take the hit. The world's wisdom is so contrary to the way we're to go about it. Again, look at the great testimony of faith that you see in Hebrews 11. Over and over and over again, you will not find anyone there. You will find people who by God's obedience conquered lands. Sure, you'll find that. The whole back half though, you find basically martyrs, people who were killed for their faith, subject to the laws of the land at the time, but simply continued to live faithfully regardless of what happened. They submitted to the authorities, even when the authorities then turned and killed them. We are to live in submission to authorities, but we're to live this way as servants. Verse 16 and 17. Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. We are free. You, you don't need anything else to make you free. I understand as a citizen, there are freedoms that are at stake. I get that. But guys, there are people around you who are truly in bondage to their sin. They are truly hell bound. Are we going to allow our opinion on a particular constitutional freedom to compromise our ability to speak into the life of those who are bound by their sin and hell bent. We are freed to serve. We are freed to share the gospel. We are freed from the power of sin over our lives. 
We are not free to use Christianity as a means to some other end apart from that of Christianity's. We are serving Christ's will, God's will. We are servants. We are, if I have to go so far as to say slaves, he has bought us with a price. We are joyfully his. We're not just free from the bondage of sin, but we are free from the fear of man. Nothing men can do can come against the church. Christianity does not need saving. It certainly doesn't need saving through politics. That's never happened. Do you understand that the gospel has flourished in every society other than democracies throughout the history of mankind? Even now, the most thriving church, the underground church in China. Most persecuted church, the Sudanese. The work that I was privileged to work with, with guys in North Vietnam, underground church pastors, they never one time asked us to pray that the government would change. They prayed for wisdom. They feared what would happen to them, what they've seen happen in the American church. When it becomes culturally okay, we get lazy. We start thinking that you can somehow have this melding of the kingdoms of men and the kingdom of heaven. If anything, let's have an insurrection where we are peaceful, where we are those who cannot be rattled by the opinions and positions of men, where we understand in our confidence and in our praying that by God, there is no way that anything can come against the church, not the gates of hell and not a Democrat and not an alt-right Republican. No one can come against the church. It is going to survive. That should not promote passivity. What it should promote, though, is a freedom. A freedom to be exactly who God has called you to be while you are here. Peaceful, quiet, confident, gospel sharing. And if you are reviled, it is because of the gospel. And people are just annoyed with something not getting under your skin more. And you're more concerned actually for their soul than you are how they're voting. Again, if you're new to us or you're new watching online, I mean, this is just simply what's next. This is what's next in Peter, okay? This is not the tenor of every week at all by what we preach, but we, we have to let the scriptures deal with us accordingly. And we are free from the fear of man. And we are free then from the bondage of sin, from the fear of man, so that we can do good to men. This idea of servanthood, he says, as servants, that word duolo simply means that you are living categorically. You're not just doing service. You are servant-minded. It literally is like a DNA thing. It's who you are and who you are becoming. Servanthood is not just something that you're clothed with. It's something that you've become in light of what he's made you to be. An exile, a sojourner, someone who helps other people who are sojourning who helps rescue people who don't know that they are on a pathway to hell apart from God for eternity. And as we all are traversing this world, this life through time, which is very awfully short, that we are called to do so with this image-bearing perspective that we are to serve all of mankind, 
the best way that we can. Now, you can't do that. Again, when this is written, there's no social media. There was no perspective of thinking of the world. They were thinking of their context, which we would do really well, I think, to adopt. I've got a lot of pastor friends who I think should stop trying to pastor the church of Twitter. Just turn around. I'm questioning your 10,000 plus tweets. Not necessarily everything you've said, even though whatever, but where's the time, man? Get back on your zip code. God's called us here right now. What changes can we make here right now? What can we do to submit to our authorities to encourage them when they do well, regardless? A mayor. Do, look at how Christians are speaking in school boards all across our country. Or people who claim to be Christians. We're to be servant-minded. We're to be humble. We're to be peaceable people who speak truth. And the most peaceable person that's ever lived, Christ, who never raised his voice in that, as far as when he was being unjustly treated, was still killed. So being servants and having this servanthood mentality means, in summary, what verse 17 says, that as servants... For the sake of God, we are to honor everyone, meaning every image bearer, every institution, every individual person. We are to literally give a dignity to every person that God has ever made, regardless of their perspective. We are to, if they're in authority, submit to them. And if not, we're to respect them and live peaceably with them to absolutely the best of our ability. Driven by God. We're to love the brotherhood. We're to make sure that we do give a deferred love to the body of Christ, that we encourage and build up the body of Christ. That when we gather together, we are reminded of the hits that we've taken. And we encourage one another to keep taking those hits. We don't gather as, as if we're a secret group gathering to plan the next rebellion. We're already living, in a sense, as rebels. But just not according to the world's rules and standards where the weapons of our warfare are quite different. They are peaceful and they are filled with prayer. We are to fear God, not men. This is what frees you to actually submit to authorities. This is what frees you to not worry about what people on your side of the aisle think about what you might be saying or what you're not saying. They may accuse you of not caring about this particular issue or that particular issue. Or maybe that you're not caring with enough anger. This should make you more angry. This should get you more riled up. Well, I mean, it should make you angry, but there is a way to do so that is still distinctly Christian. Fearing God and not fearing mad, then when you say honor the emperor, it has a perspective. How many times do you hear just, you know, the people that talk the toughest, the people that are the, the bully types in politics, I mean, that's until their base is gone. Put them on an island? Oh, man. They will backtrack. And it doesn't matter that we live in a society that has recorded every single thing you've ever said. Because they live according to the fear of men. Men. 
We don't. This is why William Wilberforce could sustain for virtually decades, 15, 20 years, to see slavery ended in the United Kingdom, in Britain. But even then, it wasn't perfect. But he was able to endure because he feared God more than men. But he still worked within the system. And I, to endure so much injustice, so many backhanded deals, backroom deals being made, the things he had to endure, the death threats because of the loss of commerce to the ending of slavery. But he endured because he feared God more than he feared men. That bears a light. The world doesn't get it. Look, I trust the order of this message. I trust that it's come when it has come. I trust that it has come on this particular Sunday, on the Sanctity of Life Sunday, when we live within a presidency that doesn't protect the unborn. We still submit to our authorities and we fight against and we want to see laws changed. And we pray to that end. We must understand that we are to honor all of our authorities. We can praise just policies and we can decry unjust ones like those that afford abortion rights. But at the same time, we have to, as Christians, think, how can we not only see that ended, but how can we also minister to those who want to seek out abortions? How can we show great mercy and compassion? Do you think, do you think policies are going to do that? Do you think politicians are going to do that? No, the church has a distinct opportunity to speak words of life at crisis moments into people's lives. We should be thinking that way. We should be thinking about what it looks like to evangelize a doctor who performs abortions instead of seeking to, under some divine right, blow up his clinic like many claimed 20 years ago. We are not given the right to work outside of the law. That's not the freedom that we have. Even though we may think the ends are justifiable, that is not the freedom that we have. We have to elevate our thinking that first and foremost, we are citizens of the kingdom of God. We are here to glorify God as we share the good news. And that good news that we share must be consistent with the manner in which we share it. It needs to reflect Christ. Look, friend, you may be with us here today or you may be watching today. And maybe you've realized that you, maybe this again would be unique to this message, but maybe you've realized that the kingdoms of men only disappoint. You cannot find hope or solace or peace or comfort or protection, much less hope in the kingdoms of men. Maybe by God's grace this morning, you're realizing that only the kingdom of heaven, only when you realize that you've actually, you're still in bondage to your sin. Maybe you realize that you've not been freed from that sin yet. Maybe that's why you are so rattled by the kingdoms of men. Maybe that's why you're so caught up in everyone else's wrong and in such a way that it so vexes you that you literally almost can't move. Maybe it's because you've actually not been freed from your own evil, your own sin. We are all born sinners. You can only be reborn as an exile, as someone who's part of the kingdom that's not of this world. So I invite you today to consider what does it look like to be freed from sin, freed from hoping in a world that you see, to find hope in the world, in the Christ that you cannot see. 
to believe that Jesus Christ died for your sin in your place, but is risen again and gives you the freedom to not fear men, but to rest and be at peace with him, whatever may come. If your desire is to inquire about that, I encourage you to, if you're watching online, to get in touch with us, to shoot us an email, and we'll reach back out to you. Or if you're here with us today, we have elders that will be around the room. We have other leaders that will be glad to share with you what it means to follow Christ, what it means to be part of his kingdom. But I realize that most of us here today are Christians. Christian, I just simply want to charge and encourage you to think about and to consider what kingdom, what kingdom gives you the most joy? What kingdom can't get rattled when it faces the greatest opposition? It may tell you something about where your affections lie right now. Get those right. Just like pandemic, I think the political situation we've been in for years now can expose some things in the church that can make us a better version of ourselves moving forward and a better witnessing instrument of the Lord in the years to come. God, I do pray that you would help us to understand and embrace that we are exiles and we are sojourners if indeed we are in Christ. And Lord, for those that are in Christ, I pray that we would war against our tendency to be faithless and to grow weary of hoping in things we don't see and to finding too much hope in things that we do see around us. Lord, help us to know what it looks like to rightly submit to authorities, even authorities we don't agree with. Help us to know what it's like to exercise the freedoms that we do have to try to promote justice, both the punishment of evil and also the exaltation of things that are good, just like you've called us to do. But ultimately, God, help us to do all of this in such a way that no one can look upon us and revile us because we are doing things according to the world's ways or means. But God, if the world has anything against us, let it just be you. And help us to show forth your peace, your goodness, your grace, your love, while speaking truth fearlessly, whatever hits may come. May we do so for your honor and your glory and your namesake, your namesake. Amen. Amen.